0: As this service grew closer, I had second thoughts about the title. I worried that it might be seen as insensitive to the real suffering that this pandemic has carried. As Arundhati Roy notes, who can use the term going viral now without shuddering a little? Who can look at anything anymore, a door handle, a cardboard carton, a bag of vegetables without imagining it swarming with those unseeable, undead, unliving blobs dotted with suction pads waiting to fasten themselves onto our lungs? Who can think of kissing a stranger, jumping onto a bus, or sending their child to school without feeling real fear? Who can think of ordinary pleasure and not assess its risk? For those of us who are living through this pandemic, that phrase, going viral, will never land as lightly as it once did just under a year ago. But what I hope to highlight today are the things we might be learning from this experience. And even that feels like delicate terrain to be traveling. I don't mean to say this all happened for a reason. Isn't it wonderful what we've discovered as a result makes it all worth it? No. No, it doesn't. People are suffering and dying. People are experiencing loss and grief and depression and loneliness and trauma and anxiety. People are falling into or deeper into poverty. Relationships are stressed to breaking and sometimes broken. The devastation of the illness combines with resulting economic devastation with the loss of jobs and the closing of businesses, and with emotional devastation caused by forced isolation and sometimes by forced proximity, to leave an indelible mark on the lives of so many, a mark that will not be erased with a simple vaccination. I don't mean to suggest that we should look for the silver lining and ignore, deny, or suppress these and other painful realities. Quite the contrary. I think if there is such a thing as a silver lining in this pandemic, it is inextricably tied in with our awareness and acknowledgement of these painful realities. And while many people have felt some aspect of the suffering that has been mentioned, we cannot, should not avoid the fact that the suffering has fallen most heavily on those who are already vulnerable and marginalized in this society. While it is true that the virus is no respecter of persons, that it has, in the words of Arundati Roy, mocked immigration controls, biometrics, digital surveillance, and every other kind of data analytics, and struck hardest thus far in the richest, most powerful nations of the world. While that is all true, the response to the virus Has not been as democratic. The response to the virus operates within that old system that we have seen disrupted, but not yet changed, not yet transformed, not yet pointed toward what we would call beloved community. You see, I don't want to tritely suggest that we should welcome this pandemic as really just another opportunity for nurturing spiritual growth. But I also think it would be a shame if in the long haul we lose sight of the perspectives it offers, the consciousness which has been raised, the possibilities we now dare to imagine. It would be a shame if in our exhaustion and frustration, we simply run towards something we call getting back to normal. Nothing, writes Roy, could be worse than a return to normality. And that may seem like a harsh statement. What's so bad about normality? Why rip away the comfort of the known, the familiar, used to be. But listen, normality is a world in which basic health care is not a human right. Because normality is the world of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmad Arbery and Philando Castile and Eric Garner and Atashiana Jefferson and Freddie Gray and Rayshard Brooks and Stephen Clark and Tamar Rice and Trayvon Martin and so many, too many other black people killed by police or vigilantes, all pointing to the lethal consequences of the unexamined hell, unacknowledged White supremacy that runs underneath this society, infecting more comprehensively than any virus, and resistant to treatment if we simply return to normality. Because normality is the world where there is never a question of cost when it comes to war or when it comes to rewarding the wealthy, or when it comes to building walls to keep people out, but where pennies are pinched, if we still have pennies, and budgets are suddenly crying to be balanced, and leaders are crying about the doom that will follow upon increasing the deficit for anything as frivolous as keeping people alive. As Roy writes, the bureaucrats who are managing this pandemic are fond of speaking of war. They don't even use war as a metaphor. They use it literally. But what if it really were a war? Then who would be better prepared than the United States? If it were not masks and gloves that its frontline soldiers needed, but guns, smart bombs, bunker busters, submarines, fighter jets, and nuclear bombs, would there be a shortage? Because normality is the world where we were told that nothing could change, that tinkering with the delicate balance of the 1% and 99% of black and white, of us and them, that tinkering with what had been established would loose apocalyptic forces, never mind that the delicate balance, fairly well assured apocalyptic forces would be loosed, according to scientists studying climate change. Because normality is the world where we were told that nothing could change. If there is no other lesson we take, we now know that things do change. And we know, or should, or will remember and remind one another that we are in this together Kim Stanley Robinson writes in his article for The New Yorker, we are individuals first, yes, just as bees are. But we exist in a larger social body. Society is not only real, it's fundamental. We can't live without it. And now we're beginning to understand that this we includes many other creatures and societies in our biosphere and even in ourselves. Even as an individual, you are a biome, an ecosystem, much like a forest or a swamp or a coral reef. Your skin holds inside it all kinds of unlikely cooperations. And to survive, you depend on any number of interspecies operations going on within you all at once. We are societies made of societies. There are nothing but societies. This is shocking news. It demands a whole new world view. And now when those of us who are sheltering in place venture out and see everyone in masks, sharing looks with strangers is a different thing. It's eye to eye. This knowledge that although we are practicing social distancing as we need to, we want to be social. We not only want to be social, we've got to be social if we are to survive. It's a new feeling. This alienation and solidarity all at once. It's the reality of the social. It's seeing the tangible existence of a society of strangers, all of whom depend on one another to survive. It's as if the reality of citizenship has smacked us in the face. We are societies made of societies. There are nothing but societies. Which makes the words of Josiah Royce, who first fleshed out an idea of beloved community, makes his words even easier to understand. My life means nothing, either theoretically or practically, unless I am a member of a community. We are societies made of societies. There are nothing but societies. And I resonate with what Robinson wrote. Ironically enough, in this time of separation, I am made more aware of other people. As I walk down the street, I look into eyes above masks. And not only am I more aware of their proximity, I have a certain sense sense of kinship that I didn't have before or didn't recognize before. We are living through something together. We are having to make decisions about common issues associated with a common occurrence. I pause long enough to recognize them as people rather than things that assist, distract, or hinder me from my appointed tasks. This pandemic is brutal. I don't mean to sugarcoat that. And such disasters... Tragedy shared by a great number of people, these tragic circumstances often have the power to broaden our understanding of what community means. We say, I will be there for you. And the you expands beyond family, beyond friends, to include community, to include people we have never met and may not choose as friends, and yet we suddenly experience our connection to them. This is what led Dorothy Day to speak of the immediate aftermath of the 1906 San Francisco earthquake as a kind of utopia because of the free-flowing, active compassion displayed by human beings toward one another. While the crisis lasted, she wrote, people loved each other. While the crisis lasted, people loved each other. We are stopped in the midst of our day-to-day existence. We have glimpsed the transitory nature of all that we considered so solid. We have faced the trivialities of so much that we considered important only a few months ago, and we have bumped unceremoniously up against the most fundamental of questions. What matters? What truly Matters. If indeed our lives need nothing outside of community, what kind of community do we want it to be? What will guide us? One, each person is important. Two, be kind in all you do. Three, we're free to learn together. Four, we search for what is true. Five, all people need a voice. Six, we'll build a peaceful world. Seven, we care for Earth's lifeboat. Not bad. The children's version of our seven principles. But here's the question. How do we carry the lessons of community discovered in the midst of a pandemic? How do we carry them forward? While the crisis lasted, Dorothy Day wrote, people loved each other. And after? What then? Rather than rush toward normality, my hope is that we think about ways to carry this on into the future. We need to institutionalize this generosity of spirit in a way that carries us through those months and years and decades ahead, that carries us over those times when we won't be feeling it as strongly as we are presently in the midst of this crisis. This clear illustration that we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. We will continue deepening connections with our community. Food bank partnership, shower the people partnership, community outreach offerings, immigration work, Black Lives Matter, nurturing intentional acts of kindness, and solidarity rather than random. Cherishing what has been uncovered in this disruption. Holding it and shaping it into a form that will point us toward beloved community so that we can look back and say, while this crisis lasted, people loved each other. And, well, after that it just seemed to go viral. And when the crisis was over... They just kept on loving.